and welcome to this edition of Insights with me, Dan O'Brien. The re-election on Sunday of Turkey's long-standing president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, and the re-election a few weeks earlier of the incumbent New Democracy Party in Greece could be interpreted as a sign of stability and continuity in that part of the world. To consider whether or not that is the case and to discuss many other issues which make Greece and Turkey internationally relevant, I'm joined today by three people with expertise on the region. Professor Othon Anastas Askis is Director of European Studies in Oxford, among other academic roles. Fiona Mullen is the founder of Sapienti Economics, based in Nicosia, and Kenneth Thompson is a former Irish ambassador to Turkey, now retired from the Foreign Service. Welcome to you all, and thanks for your time. Let's start with possibly the issue that could change most rapidly, that is the Turkish economy. Uh, things are looking ominous now. Um, foreign exchange reserves are running out. Uh, the, the currency has lost, it lost 80% of its value over the past five years and looks to be sinking fast. Fiona, from your perspective, how close is the Turkish economy to a major financial crisis? Um, I think, well, yes. So as you mentioned, the, 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 the biggest risk right now is the very, very thin foreign exchange reserves. So um, 19th of May, uh, the central bank actually ran out of reserves completely. And you can gather from comments from Erdogan. So this was uh, before the second round of the election that, um, that they'd obviously got you know, a bump up from uh, probably Gulf countries. So, so they're running on very, very, you know, on a very low tank. So the worst case scenario, when you've got an economy that has normal short-term liabilities of like $150 billion or something, um, that suddenly there are no reserves to pay that and, and you get an almighty crash. Um, I think, um, I wouldn't put money on it, but I my hunch is that we might have passed the worst. Why? Because first of all, the government has stopped um, spraying money around for the elections, so there's there's not that you know demand for um, spending coming um, or demand for imports, which is you know also pushing up the, the trade deficit and creating demand for foreign exchange. The there's also um, suggestions that maybe Mehmet Shimshek, he's a well-respected former finance minister, maybe he might be coming back. There's been hints that maybe they might change the um, uh, the economic policy, not radically, I don't think, but at least, you know, little by little, so which might at least stabilize the lira a little bit, sorry. Um, and then we have summer is coming, that also always helps, uh, you know, floods of tourists with their euros and, uh, and so on. So so I think on balance, it might be okay. The other thing that I think is really interesting, um, it's also the case in Northern Cyprus, the, the banks are still profitable. They're still sitting on a lot of deposits, both in Turkish lira and in uh, foreign exchange. They're not lending out, you know, they have, they're, they're liquid. They've got a lot more in deposits than they have in loans. And um, there's been a sort of mining of these deposits, you know, um, in another way of keeping up the foreign exchange reserves so so it is a bit hairy but um I th they they might just make it it's, uh, okay yeah interesting o Othon, I, I suppose that then raises the question of the dynamics in in turkey um 
one scenario, there is a crisis. How do you think, how loyal, and it does appear that, that Erdogan's supporters are extremely loyal. Uh, they've had inflation in Turkey, you know, many European countries, you've had six, seven, eight percent inflation on an annual basis. In Turkey over the past years, prices have been going up by three, four percent a month, giving them annualized rates of 40, 50, 60 percent. So it's it's been really um extremely high rates of inflation and despite that he still managed to win re-election so will they stick with him come what what may or would a crisis change the political dynamics um the, let, let it, me throw that to Alton Fiona. sorry yeah uh it's uh the first interesting observation i think about these elections is that uh, it wasn't the economy that defined the outcome that was particularly clear um it wasn't even the level of destruction of the earthquake in the areas where the earthquake really struck and devastated. Um, and uh, that shows that there is um, a loyalty uh, which us Westerners cannot understand um, in the sense that we probably don't know very much and can understand very well the heartland of uh, Turkey. In many ways, there is a resemblance in the map of um, the electoral map between the United States and Turkey, where you've got the edges the west and the southeast and east which are uh, republican and then the heartland apart from ankara which is very much loyal to um erdogan come what may that shows then that um they are really really looking at him as a leader i was just um watching on the television how he was giving money to even the people there he's like this father figure uh, the state is himself, and he is the state. Um, and that was so um, symbolic, I think, and significant at the same time. Another important observation about these elections is that uh, we've got a very conservative and nationalistic um, national Grand National Assembly. 400 um, seats out of 600 are going to be very nationalistic, and especially very conservative as well. That's not good news for minorities, um, women rights, LGBT rights, um, and, and or the Kurds. Um, and that, I think, is also something that will define Erdogan's uh, next few years. Um, so uh, the and nationalism was also very, very prevalent during the last, in the second round. You know, even the opposition adopted in a very, very uh, bad taste uh, kind of way and imitating Erdogan in the nationalist course. So that is, you know, Turkey is going to be a very nationalist place. Uh, but uh, as Fiona says, uh, the economy is something that um, Erdogan has been, you know, using to manipulate as well uh, to his advantage. My last point uh, is that um, the Turkish society is particularly polarized. So there's a 5248. We are at the 100th anniversary of um, the Republican Turkey. And what we are seeing basically is that Erdogan, that is fighting very hard against the Kemalists and the Republicans, mm -hmm. he's managing to consolidate his own kind of um, Erdogan, uh, Erdogan period. Uh, and that I think is particularly significant. Uh, and it shows, goes to show how the society is got, continue to be divided. Uh, Ken, going to you with your uh, former ambassador hat on Erdogan, certainly over his two decades in power, has been quite a canny operator diplomatically. 
um, in, in many areas, including vis-a-vis -vis the, the EU. How would you see relations with the EU evolving uh, following the election? Is it, is it the, the usual bumpy path or do you see any significant changes to watch for? Well, I think it's going to continue to be a little bit bumpy. Um, but at this stage, there's now no doubt in anybody's minds that Erdogan is, is here to stay for, for um, as long as, it, as he wishes. Uh, so I think that there is a change in the attitude of some countries. Previously, Erdogan had not been invited uh, by some EU member states. There was a great chilling off after the coup in 2016 when nobody called him and neither Tusk nor Juncker, and I think most EU member states didn't approach him. So he, he took that as a message that the EU is definitely not on his, on his side. Um, the talks, the accession talks that have been going on now since uh, 2004 or so, uh, Turkey is the longest standing candidate member to the EU. There are now eight candidate members and in the case of Turkey, things have moved very, very slowly. Of course, the great spanner in the works was the uh, decision that the EU took after the referenda in Cyprus on the Anand plan. The EU took the decision to let Cyprus into the, into the European Union, essentially as a disunited island. So I think that the talks that have been taking, that were taking place, have become uh, very sluggish, almost non-existent, but the whole process and its process that's very important to, to all of us uh, in, in this attempt to make Turkey a country more like us, the, the process itself is now in a kind of induced coma. I say induced because it's, it's been put in this state so that it, it in itself will not continue to cause damage to the relations between both sides. It had become uh, very aggravated over the years. The, the Turks uh, were working through various justice packages to reform the whole system of justice, separation of powers, human rights, and so on. But they have ceased to be behaving as if they're an accession state involved in a process. There's also the further exacerbating issue, which really relates to the Schengen visas. Turkey is one of remarkably few countries that does not have uh, visa-free access to the European Union. And this, these negotiations have been going on since 2013. Uh, currently, people from, from in Turkey who want to come to the Schengen countries have to wait up to four months to get a visa. And that certainly is a, is a source of great aggro. So there would be a lot of uh, popular dissatisfaction with the EU. The Eurostat polls continues to show a majority in Turkey in favor of accession. Uh, but Erdogan has always been insistent at the end of this process, there will be a referenda. Some European countries have promised referenda in their own countries. We know from opinion polls in Europe, there's a great number of people who are opposed to Turkish entry. So it's very possible, even if this process did reach the end station uh, of accession, that it would be turned down on the head of a referendum, either in Turkey or in Europe. Uh, so I think that really now what we're looking at 
again, is the old idea, which Angela Merkel talked about uh, almost 20 years ago, of a privileged partnership. Uh, how that actually, what form it actually takes, I don't know. But the Turks certainly have uh, reason for grievance because they were involved in association group for the 1960s, a customs uh, agreement in the, in the mid 90s. Uh, they were quickened with an accession bid. And now they find there's a whole cluster of other countries that are overtaking them on the outside. Um, two, two issues, if I could follow up, Ken. Uh, Othon mentioned the amount of deputies in, in the Assembly, in the National Parliament, who are nationalistic. How much has that changed since your time there? And, and do you detect, uh, do you, would you agree with Othon that it's, it, Turkish society has become more nationalistic, as I suppose could be claimed uh, many countries have? And also the issue of immigration. Uh, Erdogan used that 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 issue um, in terms of being a uh, a block to 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 for want of a better term on immigration into uh, into the EU. Do you think that will is it possible that he could use that as a tool and the gates could open um, if there were to be disagreements with with the EU? Yeah, well, I mean, Turkey is an, is a very nationalistic country. Um, it sees itself as facing an, an enemy within, uh, being being the, the nationalist Kurds. Uh, it's not necessarily a problem to be a Kurd in Turkey, as long as you don't make an issue of it. But the, the uh, and, and Mr. Shimshek was mentioned, I believe, as a Kurd. He was deputy prime minister under Erdogan. So it's it's the whole issue of, of Kurdish militancy. But Erdogan has stoked that up himself by provoking further the civil war in, in Syria um, and allowing Kurds in Syria to set up this enclave along the border, which has brought troops in. The Turks are constantly watching what, what is happening uh, in terms of their own security, in terms of uh, terrorist attacks, but also the losses that their, their troops receive. Uh, at the hands of Kurdish and other forces. So it's a very nationalist country. I, what, you're, what Othon has said is absolutely correct. The, the National Assembly has become more and more uh, to the right. Uh, we're now seeing groups which are espousing uh, very extreme views on the list of issues that have been mentioned by Othon. We see even, um, even Hezbollah represented in the shape there. So it's, it's a country which uh, Erdogan, we may actually someday be coming back to, to thank him uh, because the country has not gone further to the right. Uh, the whole question of his succession is obviously um, pretty close. Uh, he's now 69 and um, th there is this issue of who might succeed him. We all know that he has his eyes on his own son-in-law, uh, which may not necessarily in the circumstances be, be by any means the worst choice. As far as uh, immigration is concerned, yes, Turkey has 4 million migrants, mostly from Syria, uh, but that was actually provoked by, by Turkey itself to a significant extent. Uh, Erdogan made it clear during the elections he wants them to leave. Uh, Assad has been saying what, that he was willing to take them back, provided Turkey gets its troops out of Syria, which of course Turkey is not going to do until, until it has the, the militant Kurdish factions well under its heel. Uh, so I think that's going to be an issue. The, the question of Turkey opening the tap uh, has been there from the very beginning. Uh, 
Uh, they closed the tap in 2016 of immigration to the European Union. Uh, and But just recently, a few months ago, they opened the border again as a journey so that we wouldn't forget uh, the, the, the possibilities that, 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 uh, that lie in Erdogan's toolbox, toolbox in, in dealing with the European Union. Well, can come back to you on that, on the sort of on Greek-Turkey relations. Uh, that issue of immigration uh, is that clearly it is a, a concern in in uh, Greece. There are other issues uh, in terms of the Aegean Islands. Are there concerns? And of course, Greece and and and, and Turkey are two of the biggest military spenders in in Europe in NATO uh, because of their long-standing tensions. Do, do you see that those tensions just rumbling along, or could you see things getting more serious, heating up uh, in, in the Aegean or on the border? Okay, let me start with this um, <clears throat> recent period, because um, there has been um, an unprecedented uh, uh, degree of, uh, of peace uh, among the two countries um, uh, after the earthquake, uh, this latest earthquake diplomacy that, um, that took place. Uh, meaning when um, Greece was um, uh, the first or, and among the very first countries to send assistance uh, to the earthquake uh, regions. That was appreciated in, in Turkey and um, that uh, uh, led uh, then to the um, appeasement of both sides. Uh, there has been no air violations whatsoever. Uh, there has been any kind of um, friction uh, in the Aegean Sea and uh, that is something that both sides uh, really wanted uh, to uh, uh, preserve, and they did. Although all of us were expecting way before that um, the, the Aegean was going to become a very hot issue in the pre-electoral um, uh, campaigns, both in Greece and in Turkey, it was the complete opposite because of the earthquake that took place, which means that we come into the new tenure of Erdogan and. Uh, and most possibly new democracy as well after the second elections with two you know, strong governments on either side. The issues uh, continue to um, remain uh, and in many ways uh, multiply as well because there is now not just the Aegean and the delimitation of the uh, waters uh, and the air, but it's also about the Eastern Mediterranean uh, and it's also about migration. Uh, and that is something that is there how I understand the rapprochement between Turkey and Greece myself and having the experience as, as well, is that um, what the two sides do is actually sweep the very, very difficult questions under the carpet. Uh, both mm -hmm. sides continue to believe what they believe about how much Aegean belongs to Greece and how much belongs to Turkey, for instance, but it's not something that it discussed. That allows the space for other forms of uh, partnerships and cooperation to take place, and that's what happened for many years after 1999. But of course, when things come up and they heat up, then we see that that affects uh, the whole relationship. So it's a you know it's it, it's an easy change between hot and cold. Uh, right now we are at a good point. We don't know whether this is uh, sustainable, but from a Greek perspective, uh, I think uh, there is that perception as well. Better the devil that we know. Uh, and the reason is that maybe Greeks feel more comfortable with Erdogan rather than the Kemalists because Kemalism is also 
Kemalis was also involved in the Cyprus, um, uh, you know, in 1974. Uh, and of course, they are also nationalistic, maybe even more than Erdogan himself. Um, so I, I believe that, you know, it remains to be seen, but this is a good moment right now between the two countries. Okay, fascinating. Fiona, just on the energy subject, the, the last time I was down in Nicosia, there was a, a feeling as though, you know, Cyprus had struck it rich because mm -hmm. of the discoveries that were made down there uh, in the region. Um, how how beneficial the transition to, to net zero notwithstanding, how beneficial do you see that for the economies in, in the region? And has it potentially made relations worse by making these waters much more valuable and therefore raising the stakes in terms of the willingness of, of, um, of, of Turkey, obviously, yeah. but more powerful to, to, to push its claims? Um, so at the beginning, when so, so this is the interesting thing, Cyprus first discovered gas in 2011, and it's still in the ground. <laughs> and even though there was a big workshop this week with uh, energy companies, we still don't know when it's coming out of the ground. Um, and yes, certainly a lot of people thought that it was going to lead to, you know, peace in our time and so on. But if you look at countries, well, you know, which are the countries in the world that have the worst um, security and internal strife it's the ones with the with the uh, fossil fuels <laughs> and various other uh, precious resources so um but i do think i think it's interesting following up from what Othon said and maybe also kenneth so so for sure turkey you know accession is not happening but there is i think a chance of a new relationship driven by greece that has to do with energy. So Dendias, the um, Greek foreign minister, said uh, only a couple of weeks ago, something like, I have a vision of maritime peace or something like this with Turkey. It was, sorry, my things are falling up. Um, it was really interesting, you know, part of this warm relationship that's happened since the earthquakes. And so you wonder um, that they have had sort of very, very, very exploratory talks on on um, maritime issues. So could there be something there which also involves Cyprus? But I, I admit that's my hobby horse. I think I think there there could be um, if everybody got together, you could you could do a lot more. But uh, obviously, politics gets in the way. But yeah, for the time being, um, bottom line is Cyprus is going to find it very difficult to exploit its gas as long as there's an issue with Turkey. So. And could, could I come to you on the accusations uh, leveled at Turkey that sanctions invasion, sanctions evasion, uh, the sanctions on Russia over the invasion of Ukraine, that they are going through Turkey? If you have any sort of thoughts or insights on that issue, and more generally, the relationship between Erdogan and Putin, the relationship between Turkey and Russia, and then just a quick thought on whether you think Turkey will lift its uh, veto on Swedish accession to NATO. Is that for me or Kenneth? Uh, Kenneth. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I mean, at, at a popular level, actually, there's a lot of support for Ukraine in Turkey, but the rhetoric, the state rhetoric is very much supportive of Russia. Uh, Russia plays Turkey very, very well. Um, as as you know, they they succeeded in, in selling to Turkey uh, 
anti-missile system, the S-400, a couple of years ago, uh, which is the first time that any NATO country had, had bought a Russian system. Uh, Putin congratulated Erdogan the other day on the conduct of his independent foreign policy. Uh, the, before the elections, the Russians helped out by suspending uh, the requirements for gas payments. So there are many ways in which uh, Russia is trying to maintain this relationship and where Turkey uh, has, has a certain amount of independence. They, of course, helped deliver this, this grain deal, uh, which was extremely important in terms of grain for the Middle East and, and grain for West Africa. And that, I think, is very much appreciated uh, in, in, the, in the Islamic world. So I think Turkey, Turkey um, is very much uh, watching Russia. Turkey's fought 11 wars against Russia in its time and lost every single one of them. The large part of why the Sultanate failed in the early 1920s was because of the war that Turkey had embarked on Russia as a partner of Germany in World War I. So Turkey is very conscious that it has to stay on good terms with Russia, while at the same time, um, uh, there's obviously close, tie, close ties historically with, with, um, with Ukraine. And that issue of Sweden, the, the um, Sweden, uh, Sweden, uh, Sweden, yes, I think, I, I think the general expectation is that as the Swedes have been changing their laws and making certain, uh, certain amendments uh, in order to go in the direction that Erdogan wants, that it's very likely that Erdogan will, in the post-electoral climate. Uh, there's a NATO summit in, in Vilnius, I think, on the 11th and 12th of July, and it's expected that that embargo will be lifted by Erdogan on that occasion. Right. Also, let me swift, uh, switch the focus to, to Greece at this point. Um, there's another election scheduled for a few weeks' time, I understand the electoral system in Greece has changed, which gives an incentive to new democracy. It got 40% of the vote, uh, despite opinion polls saying it would get much less a few weeks ago. A new electoral system with 40% should allow it to have a majority in parliament, which it doesn't have. It didn't win a few weeks ago. Do you think it's a done deal that new democracy will win an out outright majority in a few weeks? Uh, no, elections are never a done deal, especially when um, uh, predictions um, and uh, polls uh, go uh, in the wrong direction. Uh, uh, what, of course, um, a new democracy has is a very, very big boost. Um, and also what came out from the, the previous elections is that um, the Greeks really need some kind of stability. Uh, where new democracy was much more successful than anybody else, was that um, this was a party and the government, of course, that was able to uh, project a, a very uh, governmental narrative. No other party managed to do this. Uh, the opposition was, uh, and especially the left-wing um, party of uh, Syriza, was um, a hostage of its own initiative uh, of this proportional representation system and was trying to um, uh, was trying to, uh, uh, to, sh to show and to uh, a message of a united left-wing opposition. That um, uh, immediately meant that uh, it couldn't consider itself as a, you know, as a governmental alternative. It had to have 
uh, those other parties that at the same time they didn't want to be associated much with uh, uh, Syriza. So what we've got right now is a very strong um, uh, uh, showing of a new democracy party in the elections uh, and um, a fragmented opposition. Uh, PASOK, uh, the former social democrat, the, the social democratic party that um, had, uh, uh, you know, that had seen devastating results in the previous elections, is now coming back in a way. Kind of Syriza is feeling the breath of uh, PASOK. Uh, there is a communist party. There are other parties of the left. But at the same time, what is also very interesting is that there is a fragmented. Uh, far right side of um, uh, Greek politics as well. Uh, be a party which managed to get uh, 3% uh, in the parliament and uh, also another Christian conservative nationalist party of the north of Greece that got 2.9%. What I mean to say by this is that in the next elections, it depends how people, first of all, of the center uh, or the social democrats feel about new democracy, whether they will give the vote uh, uh, to new democracy or whether they will give it to, to PASOK, and that will increase the power and uh, diminishes new democracy in the next elections. And the other one um, is also what is going to happen with the uh, with smaller parties. If they get into the parliament and there is a seven party parliament, then that affects new democracy um, and it's, um, uh, you know, it's um, uh, government, uh, governmental position and the number of seats that it gets. Can I ask you, well, let me a follow up question, and this is to Fiona as well, I'll maybe come to you afterwards, Fiona, but the Greek economy, as I think a lot of people know, has, has suffered since 2008, particularly the, since it's 2010, the deepest and longest recession of any rich country uh, ever. It's been an extraordinary, extraordinarily difficult time over many years uh, for Greece and the Greek people. Over that time, has the extent of the depression that's been suffered led to more reforms in, in governance, better state capacity? Um, is, is Greek governance better now uh, as a result of the crisis or has it not made, made any difference? Okay, the picture is uh, varied. I mean, you it's not a, a yes or a no answer. Uh, let me say as a third point to what you said that uh, in the Greek elections, uh, um, uh, as opposed to the Turkish elections, the economy did matter. It mattered because um, uh, Greek voters went uh, for a government that was much more promising in terms of how to handle the economy. Uh, Syriza is completely uh, unreliable in terms of what to do with the Greek economy. And there is the past of the 2015 as well, almost out of the Euro and the European Union that really weighs heavily as a background. So the economy is a strong card of um, uh, Prime, Prime Minister Mitsotakis and um, his uh, new democracy. The issue of reform is a very interesting one. There were reforms that took place during the um, crisis, but the ones that the IMF um, and the Troika were pushing Greece to do. Uh, and then after that, um, still the pathologies of the Greek state and the system continue to operate. Um, I will give you a couple of examples. First of all, the rule of law, the justice system, uh, not just for you know, high level politicians, but also for the citizens of Greece. Uh, you know, the delays, the problems with, um, you know, with the law. This is one, one area. Um, similarly, the, you know, the relationship between the government and the media is another fuzzy area. 
Um, at the same time, there's been some progress in terms of the digitalization of the Greek state. That in itself has been a very big accomplishment because it has saved a lot of money and uh, uh, resources. Uh, so there are some things that are moving in direction, but there are some long-term pathologies that are very, very hard to, to be able to, you know, to move. Excellent. Thanks for that. Fiona, from an economic perspective, a lot of positive chatter about the uh, Greek economy and certainly many indicators show uh, across the board growth and, and growth uh, stronger mm -hmm. than European average in, in many metrics. Would you be as optimistic uh, uh, as, as many people about the continued prospects of recovery and, and growth in Greece? Um, yeah, I think in the short term, it's, uh, I mean, we still you know, this is all relative to where we were. <laughs> um, so we've still got that GDP ratio of like 170% of GDP or something, which is uh, kind of crazy, but it's down from 200. And um, non-performing loans, I saw now they're actually higher now than, you know, they've been coming down, but they're, they're now higher than Cyprus, which has done quite a good job getting rid of them. But the banks are profitable. There's been a, there's a lot of investment going on in in things like green energy and also um, LNG ports and stuff like that for um, post war in Ukraine. I mean that investment was happening anyway, but I think it's accelerated. And there's a there seems to be I mean this is anecdotal, but quite a lively um, you know startup scene and things like that so there is a kind of uh you know greek cypriots always jealous about greece that they think is far more <laughs> gung -ho and just and... coming back to the, the point you made about greek government debt still being you know massively high it's the highest in the eurozone the highest in the eu 170 percent of gdp you know is is that particularly in an environment of rising interest rates clearly greece's rates have compressed as, as the economy's improved, but in a, in a global era of rising interest rates, is there a question still about the sustainability of Greek public debt? Apparently not according to the European Commission uh, in its latest, uh, which I think was uh, earlier this month, they said uh, Greek debt is sustainable. And you've noticed that um, the ECB bent the rules left, right and centre to make sure that Greek debt would also be eligible um, for all of its, you know, uh, uh, quantitative easing programs and so on. So, so I, I, I get this feeling that there's a there's a willingness at EU level, European Central Bank, Troika, you know, or Troika, etc., to to make sure that Greece makes it. Same as they're doing for Italy, actually. That's another story. <laughs> okay, Ken, on, on um, Othan made the point earlier that. Um, to some extent, Greeks might be happy that Erdogan has been elected for continuity reasons, better the devil you know, etc. Just could you give some insights as to how Greece is viewed from Ankara? You know, Greece, uh, Ankara's got such an extraordinary range of, of relationships to, to have as the Cyprus issue, EU, Middle East, Iran, Syria, Russia, NATO, the US. It's got a, its geography, I suppose, is complicated things. And uh, um, it, it has to juggle many, many um, relationships. But where, where does the relationship with Athens come? How big an, an issue of it? Um, again, with nationalistic sentiment rising, issues around the, the Aegean, and who owns the energy, et cetera. Thoughts on, on, on how that relationship is viewed from Ankara? Well, I think the, the Turks generally don't make too much of it because they've got so many other things going on. And this is a problem that's multi-sided with a huge variety of facets in relation to uh, borders, mineral rights, overflights, 
uh, maritime rights, you name it, uh, uh, Greek islands that are hugging the Turkish coastline. There, there's just so many problems here. And I think it's just, the, the, it's not pushed too hard by the Turkish government generally in political terms. There's a lot of other uh, issues on its plate. Uh, it prefers it to be dealt with by, by experts, I think. Uh, the, the fact is that one would expect that objectively, operationally, that there's a good chance there will be some kind of incident between Greece and Turkey, which will cause, uh, provoke a, some kind of conflict. This is, this is, things are stacked up that way. Um, it's not just a parlor game to talk of the possibility of conflict between these two countries. But uh, quite clearly, th there are means within the system to uh, control uh, the possibility of things uh, getting out of hand. Turkey could not afford to go to war uh, with Greece in a serious way, while it has so many other problems on its eastern doorstep. Uh, and I, 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 mean, I think if, if, if it's possible to control it, they will, they will not. Uh, get into any kind of open conflict with, with, um, with the Greece. At the same time, one has to remember just a few years ago, they shot down a Russian aircraft that had strayed for all of 17 seconds uh, from Syria into Eastern Turkey. So there are possibilities of mishaps, but I think that the governments will put their best energies and their best people into ensuring that, that they're that they're controlled. On a personal level, the relations between Greeks and Turks appear to be actually quite good. Uh, so it's, it's a question that arises at, at state level. As far as Cyprus is concerned, if there's one issue which Erdogan can use to rile up nationalist sentiment, it's Cyprus. And that's because uh, they, they feel that they, they were cheated uh, in 2004 when the, when the referendum took place on the Anand plan and uh, an overwhelming majority of Turkish Cypriots, Cypriots voted uh, in favor of, of the integration of the island again. So it's, um, it's, it's a difficult, difficult situation uh, in relation to Cyprus. Recently, after the Americans announced that they were going to uh, resume arms sales to the Cypriots, the Turks increased the number of their troops on the island. So they currently have anywhere between, if you include local forces, perhaps 30 or 40,000 security forces on, on that part of the island, which I remind you, the TRC is smaller than County Clare. Can I add um, something down here? Is it possible yeah, to add something? Yeah, um, uh, I agree with uh, Kenneth uh, by and large, but I would like to point a couple of changes um, in the recent past. First of all, the American influence on Turkey is not as significant as it was uh, during the 1990s, for instance, when they were much more influential and they were able to contain Turkey. Um, you know, Turkey and Erdogan is much looser in a way. Secondly, the nationalism that we've been talking about goes to all sorts of directions. There is um, the blue motherland that is becoming more and more appealing uh, to some nationalist circles, and that is the relationship of Turkey with the sea. Um, and that is also something that directly affects relationship with, uh, with, um, with Greece. Um, uh, so it is a little bit more unpredictable um, and a mishap that, that could happen at any time. After Cyprus, I agree uh, that uh, 
Erdogan, uh, you know, he's got that kind of argument in terms of uh, how the Anand plan went into the basket by the Greek Cypriots. But at the same time, you know, the north of Cyprus is also a blessing in disguise for him because that way he manages to have a, a stronghold on the island of Cyprus and around in the sea area as well. Fiona, Cyprus is not directly on the on the agenda today, but as a as a resident of the island, I, I, there's no prospect of the the walls and the fences coming down anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, we we're just about to. So the last big effort was in 2017, um, and of course both sides blamed each other for the big crash. Then um, we're probably about to enter what I call the talks about talks. Uh, so we're, we're, right now, I think we're in talks about talks about talks. <laughs> but it'll be a long time. The, the sides are very, very far apart. So it'll be a long oh, time before. Thanks for that. Look, just a final in the final few minutes, uh, Ulton, come to you about political and public opinion in Greece towards the EU, and maybe we'll get to NATO as well. But uh, you mentioned the 2015 referendum to exit the euro and just how difficult it was uh, how fraught that was. We in Ireland also had a bailout, as you know, and uh, uh, to some extent, the relation that the whole dynamic was was somewhat different. I certainly know from some European officials that there was extreme hostility towards the the, the troika in in uh, Greece over that time. Has that experience changed fundamentally the way Greek, both the political class and, and public opinion? view uh, EU membership? Oh, definitely. I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, Syriza um, also didn't do well in the elections uh, has to do with the fact that uh, uh, that, that kind of memory, uh, I believe, in, in the minds of uh, many people. Um, at the same time, you know, Greece is anchored in the West. You don't have uh, that kind of uh, ambivalence, uh, you know, of any form like you see in other countries, like in Turkey, for instance, more, the more liminal kind of spaces around the EU. Um, it's very much geared towards the European Union. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's it's a very pro-EU country, and uh, I believe that it you know it, it continues to be. That's something that there is a consensus there. Uh, of course, there are some uh, smaller parties like the Communist Party that can will always disagree with it, but um, it's very much the strength of of Greece as a you know as a as a small country in a very uh, vulnerable geopolitical environment. And while we have another minute or two left, I've always been struck by the depths uh, of anti-Americanism, if that's correct, in, in, in Greek society. Um, could, could you sort of give a very quick explana explanation of why that exists and how it affects um, um, Greece's position in NATO and its relations with the US? Again, this is something that it's uh, very much of the past, because uh, if you remember when Syriza came to power, that was actually one of the things that they did. They strengthened relations of Greece with the United States, even with Trump. So uh, in a way, by having that left-wing government as well, um, uh, being an advocate of good Greek-American relations, there is a, a big degree of consensus in, the, in a more kind of constructivist, ideational kind of environment. Of course, there's a sense of anti-Americanism and the US embassy is associated with past interventions. But in pragmatic realist terms, there is a consensus among Greeks that the good relations with the United States are beneficial for the country. We've hit the 45 minute mark. Could I thank all three of you for your great contributions today? Uh, it's been uh, an enlightening discussion for, for those of us maybe who don't focus on, 
on, on that part of the world, maybe as much as we should. So thank you very much for taking the time and thank to thank our members for tuning in today. Have a good rest of the day.